You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 136. Welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture, hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio, to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. This week's song, Live Like You're Loved by Hawk Nelson, is a very timely message in my life right now. I'm reading a book by Lisa Turkhurst called Uninvited, Living Loved When You Feel Less Than, Left Out, and Lonely. And there's so much good stuff in there that has inspired further study into God's Word, engaging conversations with friends and um, who are also reading the book, and some changing in my thinking that is really long overdue. But before we get to some highlights from the book and where it led me to scripture this week, let's listen to the chorus of our song. So go ahead and live like you It's okay to act like you've been set free. I highly recommend the book by Lisa Turkhurst, as I just mentioned, Uninvited, but I have to warn my male listeners. It's a book written for women, so if you can skip over some of the more girly references and do as my grandma would say, eat the chicken and spit out the bones, then I think you'll really enjoy it too. But in the book, she writes things like, live from the abundance, abundant place that you are loved and you won't find yourself begging others for scraps of love. Wow, chew on that for a while. Uh, But when Lisa went on a quest to live loved, she turned it into a performance-based quest. And that is really consistent with something that I would probably do. And so at the end of that kind of exercise, she concluded this, no soul can soar to the place of living loved when it's a performance-based endeavor. Living loved is sourced in your quiet daily surrender to the one who made you. Friends, our quiet surrender happens when we know what we are surrendering to, you know, God's ways, when we know God's ways and when we know God himself. And when you know, and I know you know this, but God has revealed himself through his word. In other words, living loved is sourced in abiding in the word of God and in relationship with him. And that's what I try to help you do each and every week. I I realize the Bible is a big book and parts of it are really confusing and other parts are downright boring. And the enemy knows this too. And we'll add those arguments to the playlist of I'm too busy and I've read it once and keep you from the life it offers. And as I was considering where I could go in scripture, inspired by the idea of living loved, I thought about suffering because it's hard to live loved Uh, It's not hard to live loved when everything's hunky-dory, right? So it's harder to live loved when we're suffering. And I remember Paul having an issue 
that we really don't know what it is. He describes it as a thorn in his flesh, which could really be anything, to be to be honest. Whatever suffering you're going through, it could have been that. It could have been medical or spiritual or emotional or relational. No matter, it was a thorn and could have caused him to go into a tailspin of self-pity. But nope, not Paul. You know, he was glad. Glad? Let's read about it in 2 Corinthians 12. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Your grace is all I need. Oh, well, Lord, since you said so, right? (laughs) Then I'll be glad about my weaknesses. Now, don't read this too fast, okay? Paul could see a why in his suffering. He described it as God's way of keeping him from becoming proud. But he wasn't doing a happy dance about it. You know, he asked God three times to take it away. And if you look closely, he asked three times. And scripture said here that each time God said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So if Paul's like you and me, he didn't ask back to back. You know, it wasn't like, Please take it away. No, please take it away. No, please take it away. No. This wrestling with God, it could have taken place over a significant period of time before he could finally come to this conclusion, his place of maturity, where he could now be glad to boast about his weaknesses so that the power of Christ could work through him. And this should encourage us, or it does me. Uh, Sometimes God's truth and voice doesn't quite get through to me the first time or the second. Sometimes I even say things to him like, oh, God, surely you didn't mean that. Or, okay, got it. Now you can still go ahead and remove that thorn now, right? (laughs) So there is such a profound picture of living loved in these verses. How can I get to the place where I take pleasure in my weaknesses, where I take pleasure in insults and hardships, persecutions, and troubles? Because when I consider my weaknesses, I tend to want to hide them. I want to camouflage them and I want to deny them. But when I, and when I consider the insults that I've been the recipient of, my first instinct is not to take pleasure in them, but to fight back with many, many words and rash judgments and anger and defensiveness. And when I think of the hardships and troubles God has seen fit that I endure, I think I need to pick up one of those, like, I, th- I think they sell those hardship avoidance gadgets at Walmart, right? Um, okay, so they don't have those on the market yet, but I would buy one, wouldn't you? And obviously, not Paul. He, ca- he came to this mature place where he was actually glad for these things. And while any level of persecution that I've ever had to endure does not even remotely compare to the life-threatening and torturous persecutions that believers have to endure around the world, even though they've been minor, I don't think I've been tempted to put a I love persecution sticker on my car at any time soon. But Living Loved says our weaknesses gives Jesus a chance 
to really shine. And hardships build your faith. And our Savior endured insults and persecutions. And the scripture is clear that a servant is not above his master. And that God's going to use our troubles for good. And as I mentioned, several of my friends and acquaintances are also reading Uninvited uh, by Lisa Turkhurst at the same time. And this has been great because we've been able to chit-chat about what we're learning and some of the things that have been most meaningful to each other. And my bestie and I were texting about the book the other day, and she asked my thoughts specifically around this idea of living loved. And we chatted about the fact that we know we're loved. We can even feel loved, fully loved by God. You know, it's in our head, our heart, everything, but it's not coming out. We're not living loved. That was the question. Are we living loved? And I'm going to be somewhat transparent and vulnerable vulnerable right now, but my raw and real answer back to her was not pretty. (laughs) And I hope that uh, you don't think that just because I'm sharing God's word each week on the podcast that I'm some sort of flawless expert because I'm far from it for sure. I am still growing and learning in every podcast that I share with you a truth that God has shared with me and I'm trying to let it sink in and change me too. But um, this is what I wrote back to her. I, I put, I'm reading Pollyanna with Meredith for school. Pollyanna plays the glad game where she finds something to be glad about in every situation. Sometimes it takes her a while, but she always figures out a way to be glad. Paul does this in Philippians 1. I don't. I critique the situation, which often leads to criticism of the other person. True story. That's me working on it. Wish I could just decide to stop doing that uh, because that, my friends, is not a reflection of living loved. And this doesn't mean that I stand around with my hands over my ears, la, 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 as if insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles don't happen. That's not what I'm saying. I just want to respond as a person who knows I'm fully loved and living a life resting in that love and then has this overflow of being filled with that love. I want my gut response, not my don't say that, don't say that, don't say that response, but my overflow of all of that love within me to, um, to, to respond as though I'm living loved. And as I considered this list of weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles, another story in the Bible jumped to my mind. And I spent a great deal of time in that story this week. And I want to challenge you to do the same. In fact, I'm going to introduce the bite for this week. B-I-T-E, bite, stands for Bible Interaction Tool Exercises. And these are just exercises that I encourage you to try to add variety and confidence to your time in God's Word. And as I mentioned earlier, um, the Bible's a big book. And these habits, these bites, help you take a bite, uh, one bite at a time, pun intended. So this week's bite is read and keep on reading. There are some areas of scripture that are easier to do this than with others, but this story is a long one and a good one, and I can't wait for you to dive in this week. It's one of those, um, you know, you've ever picked up a book and you just can't put it down because you want to know what happens next, so this is that kind of story. So when you read and keep on reading, however, you are not stopping every few verses to try to glean life application out of it. You're just immersing yourself in the story. Then after you read the story all the way through, maybe even several times, then that's when you'd go back to pull out the big ideas 
uh, of the story. And that will be a more meaningful process because you'll have the big picture, the whole story in mind. So this week's song is inspiring us toward a story. But many times when you're listening to sermons and messages from Christian speakers or pastors, they assume a level of exposure and understanding that you may not have. And they're going to say things like, you know the story of Gideon, and then launch into some sort of application. And if you don't know anything about Gideon, that's okay. Don't fret. Jot his name down, take good notes, and then go home and read all about him, and then go back to your notes and see uh, how that will change the way you consider the points that they've made. Also, if they do a good job of telling the story, which many of them do, you know, they won't assume that you know all about Gideon, so they try to tell the story to make their point. Kind of what I'm going to do today in our story, by the way. Don't just take their word for it. You've got to go read it for yourself. Let these messages, let the books that you're reading, and of course, songs that you're listening to, and just, well, life. Let all of it inspire you to get into God's word for yourself. You can do it. So this list that we've gone over in Corinthians made me think of Joseph. And his story is told in Genesis chapters 37 through 50. Yep, that's 13 chapters of God's word. And it's really not that big of a deal because it's a great story and you, you'll you find yourself getting enthralled in it pretty easily. So I want to add another quick bite right here. If the version of the Bible that you normally read in is not written in language that you normally speak, For this exercise, I challenge you to try reading the story in an easy-to-read version of God's Word. So in other words, if you normally read or study in the King James Version, for example, try this exercise, try reading, like read and keep on reading, try it in a thought-for-thought version, kind of uh, like New Living Translation or the NIV. It's going to help you stay in the story, and it's going to feel a little less formal, and you won't get stuck in some of the words that we don't use in our common language. I actually wish I could force you to pause the podcast and go read Genesis 37 through 50 because I really don't have time to tell the entire story. And it's a really good story. And I'm going to be skipping over a lot of amazing details. But I'm going to pull out a few highlights that are going to try to make my point as to why I sat in this section of scripture this week. But you really won't get the full effect without reading it for yourself. So let's let's jump in. So Joseph was born to Jacob, as in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob. Okay, so... The scripture is very clear. He was fully loved by his father. In fact, uh, right or wrong, Joseph was his favorite. And I'm assuming this gave Joseph pretty big confidence because he had some dreams that may or may not have implied that he was going to be pretty big stuff and that his brothers would bow down to him and even his father too. Only someone who who lives loved um, often feels free enough to tell these kinds of stories out loud. So because of this, Joseph endured some insults. Uh, remember our list from Corinthians? Uh, uh, in Genesis 37, 4, scripture says that his brothers couldn't say a kind word to him. So he endured some insults uh, because of his freedom that he he felt living loved and telling on him telling on himself with these dreams. And then speaking of persecutions, not only could they not say anything nice, they actually plotted to kill him, his brothers, and sold him into slavery instead, and then lied to their dad saying that he must have been killed. Yep. 
these stories glad or make me pretty glad that I'm an only child. You know, you, you hear what I'm saying? So, but in chapter 39, we are reminded that Joseph, again, is fully loved, not just by his earthly father, but by his heavenly father. Genesis 39, 2 says the Lord was with Joseph and he succeeded in everything he did. But just in case he had not suffered enough, he endured another round of hardships. His master's wife, of course, remember he's a slave, but he got a pretty sweet gig because God was with him. But his master's wife started hitting on Joseph and put pressure on him to have an immoral relationship with her. He persevered against her advances, which made her mad. And she falsely accuses him of doing what she wanted him to do anyway. And then he was thrown into the prison. Talk about troubles, right? Remember our list. So then comes our memory verse for the week. Genesis 39, 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. You see, Joseph was fully loved and he continued to live fully loved, even in prison and in the midst of hardship and troubles, he was given favor with God and with man. And so he interpreted some dreams for some of Pharaoh's servants that were in prison with him. And when they were released, he was hoping they would say a nice word about him. One got killed, but the other guy um, in Genesis 40 says that that guy, quote, forgot all about Joseph. So here comes another round of hardship. You know, how can you serve God? How can you live loved when you've been set aside and when you're in bondage? And this part blows my mind. Scripture says two years later. You know, I'm not a two years later kind of gal. I'm not sure if you are or not. I'm a couple days at the most kind of gal. You know, God is actually, however, seen fit to give me a two years later kind of hardship. And let me tell you, it definitely highlights my weaknesses. But anyway, two years later, Joseph gets his shot when his prison buddy finally remembers him and suggests that Pharaoh gets him to interpret one of his dreams. So listen to how Pharaoh describes him in Genesis 41 after he has interpreted his dream. Pharaoh asks his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God? Wow, I wish I could live loved in such a way that that would be said of me. That when I um, am experienced by others, that when I'm them present, that the spirit of God is so obvious. And then in verse 51 of the same chapter, Joseph ends up naming his child, gets married and ends up naming his child Manasseh, which means causing to forget. And he said he did that because, quote, God has made me forget all my troubles. Again, just living, loved. Because how many of us would keep a list, you know? I I had a great life until my brother sold me into slavery and then I was falsely accused and in prison and forgotten and woe is me and oh lament. But no, he, he was living, loved. He walked in freedom, even into the freedom of forgetfulness. And then the story climaxes when, because of a famine, his brothers end up in Egypt, bowing at his feet, asking for food. I'm not even kidding. This part of the story goes back and forth quite a bit, actually, but I want to get to this key point. His brothers did not recognize Joseph, but he recognizes them. And when he finally reveals his identity to them, does he pull out his weaknesses, insult, hardship, persecution, troubles list? No. 
he, he, he is living loved Joseph. And he says this in Genesis 45. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me ahead, here ahead of you to preserve your lives. I can't get over it, y'all. I want to be like that. I want to live so loved that I am not bitter, resentful, angry, pouty, or sad, and that I don't respond that way either. I want to live loved like that. And if you keep reading the story, the hits just keep on coming. Because even after Joseph restored relationship and saved all of them and their families, his brother's guilt keeps keeps eating them alive. And if you want to see a contrast, you just look at Joseph and his brothers. Joseph living loved, brothers living guilty and condemned. Because when their father dies, the brothers freak out thinking, oh, now that dad's dead, Joseph will finally take revenge on us. But Joseph in Genesis 50 says, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. (laughs) The speaking kindly part just jumps out at me. Again, living loved. It's recognizable. Kind words. Not just silent perseverance marked Joseph's life. So when it comes to our list from Corinthians, um, uh, Joseph could have allowed the insults of his brothers to define what kind of man he would become. His betrayal into slavery could have caused him to become sullen and depressed and bitter and angry or even entitled. And when enduring the hardship of that immoral pursuit of Potiphar's wife, he could have given in and, and been forever marked by the result of that sinful path. And when faced with unjust imprisonment, he could have responded just like I suggested when he was sold into slavery. He could have become sullen and depressed or bitter or angry. And I know I've made Joseph into a live-loved hero today, and he really is. But consider this. Each season and circumstance where he chose to live loved, we don't get to see the struggle in between the lines. We don't see the wrestling and the questioning and the sorrow and the tears that he must have shed. I'm sure those were there. But we can see how he lived. So don't forget, you can't live out what you don't pour in. And when it comes to God's word, you need to meditate on it and call on it and pray it and magnify it and apply it. And as a matter of transparency from me to you this week, for me, a fully loved child of God who is living loved will mean that I don't have to mercilessly criticize others. It doesn't mean I shut my eyes to hard things that are said to me and hard times that I've had to walk through at the hands of others, but it just may require more compassion and grace and words of life and sincere prayer rather than quick critique or complaint. Perhaps there is someone out there who can say me too to that. So what's next? Read about the life of Joseph in Genesis chapters 37 through 50. Read and keep on reading. Don't stop too often the first time. After you've read it all the way through and taken in the highs and the lows of Joseph's journey, consider Paul's list in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and then apply that list to Joseph's experiences and your own. Compare and contrast your responses to those you uncover in Scripture. 
Ask God to convict you and set out a path to live loved out of all the reserves you are building up by staying in God's word. And while you're in God's word this week, let me know how you're doing. Email me, michelle at michellekneezat.com. You can hop on Twitter at michellekneezat or Facebook, michellekneezat.com forward slash michellekneezat. And let's talk about what you're learning. Now, before I tell you what song will be featured next week, I want to shout out to Emma from somewhere in the U.S., Peter from Tennessee, Paula from California, Michaela from Minnesota, Marjorie from Florida, Kenura from Texas, Sarah from Arizona, Applis from Georgia, and Ginger from Texas. These are my newest subscribers to my website. Welcome. Now, the benefit of subscribing is this. I will email you once a week, and in that email, I provide you a weekly memory verse resource. You can display that on your smartphone, your tablet, your desktop. You can print it out. You'll also get an an email recap of the week's episode, and sometimes I create some extra resources. You'll get that um, first as, as well. And all of that is just my way of saying thank you for listening. I wish we could just have a cup of coffee and I could look you in the eye and thank you, but this will have to do. So head over to michellekneezat.com to subscribe today. And then don't miss an episode of my podcast. You can subscribe in iTunes and Stitcher Radio for if you have Android device. But while you're there, please leave me a written review and a star rating. It really encourages me, but it also helps me stay visible to new listeners. And as always, if you take the time to review my podcast, I will take the time to personally thank you right here on the podcast. Just like Ben Daniels, who bravely and graciously wrote this, I've been almost atheistic for a lot of years, and Michelle's work, along with a couple other sources, is dragging me back to God and the Bible. I've listened to 12 episodes this weekend and downloaded all available, and the remarkable thing is that for this guy, who has objected to so much, Michelle doesn't say anything objectionable. The message she's delivering seems to be a truth beyond doctrine. I am immensely grateful for this work and for the spirit which brings it out. Just a couple of simple but profound truths you will find here. God is not defined by your circumstances, and the accusing voice you hear in your head is the voice of the accuser. Thank you, Michelle, for allowing the Word of God to refresh our souls. Wow. Thank you, Ben. I really appreciate it. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will use the song, What You Want by 10th Avenue North. And if you liked this episode, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneezat.com forward slash 136. And while you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.